Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we are welcoming you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that women become irrelevant as they age. We appreciate your support. Join our Aging Reimagined Circle at womenover70.com. Promote your book in Books by Women and invite us to speak to your organization. And today we're really delighted to welcome Jane Llewellyn, PhD and RN, age 75, who is living her life to the fullest. As a young professional with a husband and child, Jane faced her own death with a 20% chance of survival from an aggressive cancer. After a year of intensive treatment, Jane returned to her field of nursing to become vice president and chief nursing officer at Rush University Medical Center and to serve on the faculty of Rush University College of Nursing. At age 65, Jane retired from her fulfilling and highly demanding work because she wanted to experience more, which for her involves traveling the world. Thus far, she has visited many countries on seven continents and plans a return visit to Antarctica. Jane remains active in health initiatives in her community and as a family issue with Alzheimer's disease. She lives in a naturally occurring retirement community in Oak Park, Illinois. And welcome, Jane, to Women Over 70. Hi, thanks. Thanks, Gail and Catherine. Uh, thanks very much for having me as a guest. I really like the concept of your podcast, and you've had some very interesting participants. <laughs> well, thank, thank you. you. And yeah. you will be another. <laughs> so, Jane... Let's start with uh, that real defining period when you were a young adult, when you had uh, aggressive breast cancer and you pursued aggressive treatment. And and just tell us a bit how that influenced your life decisions and directions that you took. Okay, I'd I'd be glad to. Um, You know, I've always been good about getting my preventive health screenings. Uh, For instance, I would always get my mammogram in September because the start of the school year would be my reminder every year to get my mammogram. So when I was 43, I got my usual screening, which was read as normal. Then in November, I discovered a lump in my breast, went to my doctor and she said, well, since I had just had a normal mammogram, maybe I should just wait one menstrual cycle. So I waited one cycle and it grew bigger. Um, I then had a biopsy and it came back positive. That was followed by a mastectomy and the bad news that it had already spread to 14 of my lymph nodes. And it was the type that was triple negative, meaning that it was not responsive to hormone treatment and uh, thus it was was more aggressive. I was given a 20% chance of surviving five years. Um, All of this uh, resulted in me electing to have very aggressive therapy, which meant that I had higher dose chemo every week without rest periods in between. Um, At times, my blood counts would get so low that I would need to be hospitalized for transfusions. Um, All of this was followed by a bone marrow harvest, just in case it returned, because that would have been the next treatment back in those days. Um, Then I had a prophylactic mastectomy on the other breast and breast reconstruction, all of this resulting in me being off my job for nine months. Um, The post-treatment period was harder than the treatment itself because the likelihood of recurrence was always hanging out there. Uh, 
And I was raising a young daughter who she was just developing her little breasts. And I often said that I lived through chemotherapy, menopause, and dealing with an adolescent all at the same time. <laughs> um, nonetheless, with, with great medical care, some prophylactic interventions, and quite a bit of luck, I did survive the cancer. And it has impacted me for many of my decisions throughout the rest of my life. Can you give some examples, Jane, of how it's impacted your decisions? Well, um, I just, I think, um, well, one is, is uh, how I decided to retire. You know, many people um, do, you know, especially if they've been enjoying their work, like I did, um, the decision can, to retire can be difficult. You know, how do you decide when it's time to leave? Mm -hmm. um, some people don't have a choice about it, but when there is a decision involved, uh, a variety of factors into a, the choice. And in my case, it, it was that early cancer experience um, and, uh, you know, made me want to live my life and enjoy things while I could. Before we, I, I know that involves a lot of, a good deal of travel, but before we hear yeah. a bit, some about that, tell us a little bit about your work in the field of nursing because you were you had held major leadership positions and I think you were a pioneer in, in several initiatives. Well, most of my career has been at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, although I did work for a few years in Kansas City before that. Um, when I graduated from my master's program, um, that was in 1972, I was, I was fortunate to be referred to Rush because they were just starting a new nursing college. I, I'd never been to Chicago in my life, uh, but I interviewed and I was very impressed with the hospital, uh, the people, and most of all, um, uh, the new dean of the college and vice president of nursing, uh, Dr. Luther Chrisman. Uh, Luther was an, an internationally known nurse and sociologist, and he he was responsible for really transforming the nursing model at Rush in the very early days. Um, and what was he, the, what was he, the sorry, go ahead. You no, know, yeah. go ahead. I was just gonna. I was going to ask what what was the transformation? What was the new, the new model that he brought in? Well, it had it had a lot of different elements, but um, one of the fundamental things was he believed that. Nursing faculty should also be active clinical practitioners so they could be good role models for students. So um, he set it up so that we all had simultaneously a clinical role in the hospital, but also um, a key faculty role in the College of Nursing. And, you know, I've, that's been most of my career. I've always had a foot in both sides. Um, so when I retired, I was vice president for nursing, and I was associate dean in the college. Um, but um, one of the other key concepts was um, to have shared governance for the nursing staff. Um, he believed, and I believe, that the best decisions are made by the people who are closest to the patients. So we created in incentives that would keep educated and seasoned nurses in clinical practice. And we also had a structure whereby the, the clinical nurses had a strong voice. They had input into decision-making and a seat at the table. Um, 
I honestly don't believe that they ever felt the need to form a unionized environment because they were able to influence their practice. Um, and one of my more enjoyable experiences was serving as a mentor to the various presidents of our shared governance. Um, but I think one of the most important things that I did at Rush was um, to introduce the magnet nursing program. Um, and uh, it was, a, I, we were an early national adopter of this recognition. Um, it's, it's called the magnet program because it emphasizes very high and measurable patient care quality standards. So thus it's a magnet for patients. But it also has high requirements for creating a nurturing and professional environment for staff. So it serves as a magnet for them as well. And um, throughout the years, the magnet program has grown to be a, a national and international highly sought recognition. And uh, I believe it is, has been a key factor in making Rush a great medical center. So your work was uh, clearly um, gratifying and, and interesting and and I and highly demanding. It sounds like with all these roles, high level roles that you played. Yeah. So so how you, you said you made the decision to retire. I think you were sixty five. Mm -hmm. And uh, what did you want to be doing instead? Well, um, you know there there are a lot of things that go into your retirement. And so I was reading about, oh, how should you retire? And, and one of the things that I, I kept seeing was that when you have had an all out job like that, that uh, is very encompassing, that it's not advisable to just quit cold turkey, but rather to find a way to kind of phase out. Um, and so, well, of course, being the chief nursing officer, you can't do that job on a part-time basis. So um, I found another way to use that nursing interest. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to serve as one of the appraisers for the Magnet Recognition Program. Um, and it allowed me to pick up assignments really on my own schedule. And um, was really privileged to make site visits to some of the most outstanding medical centers in the country. I was even able to do a site visit in Australia since um, the magnet program had by then become international. So I was able to continue my association with my profession for eight more years past retirement. So that, that was good for me. So was that a part-time job, uh, Jane, at that point? Yes, it was part-time. Uh huh. So that was that was a great way to ease into retirement then. Yes, it was. And I would highly recommend that, you know, if, if there's if you're lucky enough to find a way to to be able to do that. Right. Did you did you um, what made you decide then finally to give it all up? Well, um, I, I think I think we all reach a point where especially when you're in a very rapidly changing um, environment as healthcare is. Um, I had not been at the front line for a number of years, like I said, eight years. And I just felt like I felt like I just maybe needed to hang it up. What, that part of it anyway, I've still been, I've still been active in healthcare, but uh, to give up that particular part while I was 
uh, still up on the, all of the regulations and, and that sort of thing. So the, it was, it was a just kind of, I knew when it was time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to hear about your travels because if I'm correct, you have um, <laughs> traveled to all the continents. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, and many, several countries and across all these continents. So yeah. tell us about uh, how you, how you manage this and what well, drives you. You know, um, when I was working, like I said, it was a demanding job and it, it never allowed me to take three or four weeks off for one of these longer vacations. Mm-hmm. So when I retired, I really had a great pent up demand to take these longer trips that, that were more remote and adventuresome. Um, so I began to venture out into the world, uh, and experience some really extraordinary account encounters. Um, I, I traveled with a, a company, travel company that uh, that was really part of their philosophy was to really immerse you in a culture, not just to, you know, I, Rick Steves has often said, what's the difference between a tourist and a traveler? And uh, mm-hmm. he, he said, the tourist visits all the big sites, you see the spectacles and return home with a suitcase full of knickknacks. But a traveler becomes a temporary local and um, becomes more enriched. And that's, that's really what this travel company allowed me to do. Uh, so that's, that's what I did. Um, and um, as, I, as I began to get out and, and learn about different cultures, uh, different religions, different foods, so many other things, it, it really expanded my feelings of how I view the world and, and my little place in it. And um, just even, you know, to be able to watch the news in the evening, it was more meaningful because I knew mm-hmm. about these, these cultures. What are some, um, which, which, what, what are some that real? I'm sure they all stand out, but just to give us some highlights where you, um, well, yeah, you know, people, people would used to ask me, um, what was your favorite place? And I would always say the next one. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, and that was usually true, but I'll tell you, after visiting Antarctica, I must admit that that is my favorite. It's the only place in the world that is not owned by any country, and it's used exclusively for peaceful purposes. Mm. And it's just so pristine, quiet, and serene. Somebody in my travel group commented and said, this is probably the closest that any of us are going to feel of like what it's like to be on the moon. Mm. Of course, the exception to that solitude was when we viewed all of the colonies of penguins or saw the pods of whales spouting through their blowholes or the loud cracking when a glacier was calving. Um, so it, it was so exciting that, um, Catherine, as you said, I, I'm scheduled to visit again next mm-hmm. winter. Next winter. You know, my sister just returned from Antarctica, and uh-huh. I spent two hours looking at her photos of penguins, mm-hmm. and more penguins, and uh, <laughs> seals. It was just, it was wonderful, though. It was just fascinating. It was. It yeah. was. I, I feel very fortunate to have been able to do that. But, you know, I... I realized that eventually I will lose my physical stamina for for these kind of trips. Um, So I've kind of tried to make those the destinations while I'm still able. 
and uh, I think I'll save the the quieter river tours for when mm-hmm. I'm older. Mm-hmm. But this is, um, you know, in all these travels, I, I kind of started collecting travel quotes. <laughs> and one of my favorites is, life is short, take the trip, buy the shoes. <laughs> I like it. But that makes you a tourist. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Well, where else, Jane? Just give us a couple of others. So I like to live vicariously. So where um, else? Well, my sister and I did a lot of these trips together. And um, we thought, well, the first two that we were going to take, we and these were separate trips, but um, to China and India, because we thought these were two places that were really going to impact the world economy and, and world happenings. Um, so, yeah, we went to uh, China. When, when we were in China, we also were lucky enough to go to Tibet. Um, and then um, India was a, just a very different, exciting place. And um, when we were there, we also went to Nepal, uh, did, didn't climb Mount Everest, but we were able to see Mount Everest. Did you go to Tibet? I'm sorry. Did you go to Tibet? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very. I found that very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And then, oh, well, gosh, been an African safari, which was also, that's probably my second favorite. Um, and uh, oh, to Morocco and just uh, uh, various places. A lot of fun. And you are leaving uh, in a couple of days for uh, on a cruise, you said, to, uh, which is uh, not your usual way to travel. But tell us why, okay. the, why a cruise? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, don't get me wrong, cruises are very nice. <laughs> I feel very lucky to do them, but uh, that's how more, more my family likes to cruise, I think, more than I do. And um, my sister, I, I think I'm, I'll talk a bit about uh, her situation in a bit, but um, she has dementia and um so it's a little harder for her to take those long, exciting trips now. You know, it's a cruise is a much easier, more manageable thing for her. So we're getting ready to do a repositioning cruise, which is where the um, cruise companies, they're moving their ships from the Caribbean over to Europe for the summer. And so the, the first five days are at sea, crossing the Atlantic, and um, then... Once we get across, then we'll visit some ports in uh, Portugal, Spain, and France. It sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> very, very relaxing. That. Yeah. So tell us. Um, you said Jane that you are still engaged and in, in, involved in healthcare in some ways, and you just mentioned that your sister has Alzheimer's. So tell us about what what you're involved in, in terms of healthcare and your sister's care. Okay. Well, um, actually one of, one of um, my main retirement activities, and it's not necessarily healthcare, although I have 
through it, studied a lot about healthcare. But um, I have, for about nine years now, I've been taking classes um, through the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at Northwestern. You may have heard it called OLLI. Yep. Um, and the unique thing about this program is that there really aren't instructors. The courses are all peer-led. Um, there are 12-week sessions, and um, members uh, can propose a topic. Uh, it's often based on a book or a play or a movie or something. And then um, the first week of class, the people that have enrolled in it um, divide up the 12 sessions. And each person for their session chooses supplemental materials. We develop discussion questions and then lead that particular class. So I've, I've taken a real variety of very interesting courses there. Um, usually they're related to current events um, or contemporary issues, science or medicine. And um, the currently, the last three terms, I've been taking the course in writing life stories. And um, we have, we've been a small group. We really bonded in helping each other write. We, we, we read our pieces in class and then we critique each other. And um, it's, it's been a great way for me to, number one, make new friends and to keep me stimulated and, um, uh, and to continue practicing my teaching skills. And, um, but most of all, it keeps, I think it keeps my aging mind alert. And I often say that that is the gem for my brain. But, but the, re, the way it relates to my sister is, um, you know, in, in attempting to write my life story now, um, it, it makes me think, you know, that, um, I, it, you know, I wish that my mother and, and my sister, my, my mother also had Alzheimer's, and I wish that they had told me more about the things they remember because now I keep I want I keep wanting to ask them like Judy what what did what did we do about this when we were kids and and it's just gone now so I thought you know I I want to get some of that down while I've still got an active brain to do it. <laughs> other um, there are other things that I've been involved with, for instance, um, I do serve on the board of my local hospital. Um, Rush has been such an important part of my adult life. Uh, so uh, when I was asked to join that board um, at uh, Rush Oak Park Hospital, I was really more than willing to contribute and um, my participation has included, you know, providing input into community needs and, and meeting with community groups to listen to their feedback, um, serving as a mentor, um, especially to the chief nursing officers there, and, and more recently participating in the appointment and transition of a new CEO. So it's, it's I, I've been happy to, to be able to do that. You know, I met you through the... Um end of life options coalition yes. through compassion yes. and choices. And do you want to say anything about why you're involved in that? Well, um, I definitely do because it's been, uh, it's a very meaningful uh, group to me. Um, as a nurse, I've always been interested in end of life. 
And I guess I, I obviously became even more acutely aware of that from my own early cancer experience in my early 40s, which made me think about how my life would end. Uh, and I'm really grateful that I survived and I've had an extraordinary life beyond that. Um, very often, I think that everything since then has been gravy. I, I could have died back then, but I've gone on to be a significant force and um, to have raised an extraordinary daughter and to have traveled the world to unbelievable places. So, you know, who could ask for more? So when my end of life comes, um, I, I just really wanted it to be a celebration of what I overcame. But I don't want to live a, a long life of suffering. I, I think most of us don't. Um, so part of uh, with compassion and choices, uh, the, the key thing is that we um, really want to help people um, determine and, 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 ex and express what they want for their end of life to be. And um, most importantly, to be able to communicate it to those close to them. Right. Right. Well said. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, you know, so you're um, you're only seventy five. You've you obviously have a a lot of uh, future travel in in the works. And I was just how do you how do you think about your own aging now, or or do you? Oh, I I do. I think we all do. Um, I I feel so privileged to have led a long, satisfying life, and um, I've had such a wonderful retirement for the last. 11 years now that I've been retired. Um, I've been in good health, able to live some of my dreams and be productive. Um, so I'd be very happy to have nothing changed. But um, I'm a realist. I know that I will need to, uh, number one, support my sister as her Alzheimer's progresses even more. Um, I am her the backup care provider for her. And, and eventually, I know my own health will change as well. Um, but for now, I just look forward to continue being me. And um, I really feel like I'm loving the life I live. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful, that's really beautiful, wonderful thing to be able to say. Mm -hmm. Any? Do you have any questions or anything, Gail, before we, we wrap up? No, I'm so... Um, I'm 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 traveling the world as I'm listening to you. <laughs> now I have to come back. No, no. <sighs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, and thank you, Jane. Thank you so much for being with us and 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 giving us a glimpse into the life that you love to live. It's really really lovely. <laughs> thank you. It's certainly been my pleasure. And listeners, subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Visit womenover70.com to access all of our episodes and easily search by name or category. Join us on the first Tuesday of each month to enjoy programming beyond the podcast hosted by Aging Reimagined Circle. Membership information is on our website, womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Mm -hmm.